Governor, I would love to see you in some of those congressional hearings with the with the left. I can't imagine what their their heads would be spinning. I'd love to see that. You you up for that challenge? Well, you know, when you have nothing to lose, but on the other hand, you know, when the media has already clobbered you as bad as you can get clobbered and the haters, you're not going to change their mind. But you have faith that there are enough Americans who understand where you're coming from, your love for the country, your servant's heart. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that there are enough Americans who understand what we need. And uh, when I have nothing to lose, as is the case today, I think it's good for my family. Oh, my God. Is she still talking? <laughs> It was a simple question. Well, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet. It's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites except for Spotify. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Okay, we will get to Sarah Palin today. Oh, goody. (laughs) For good or ill, apologies in advance. I'm actually looking very much forward to uh, speaking with my guest uh, joining us momentarily uh, today about Sarah Palin and much more going on in Alaska. Well, you'll see. Anyway, uh, we spent quite a bit of time on uh, this mm, other, well, very heavy uh, news yesterday on the broadcast. So I'm sort of hoping to lighten things up a little bit with Sarah Palin and my guest momentarily. But first, we've got to start here. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky accused the Russians of gruesome atrocities in Ukraine and told the U.N. Security Council on Tuesday that those responsible should be immediately brought up on war crimes charges in front of a tribunal like the one established at Nuremberg after World War II. Zelensky appeared via video from Ukraine and said that civilians had been tortured, shot in the back of the head, thrown down wells, blown up with grenades in their apartments, and crushed to death by tanks while in cars. Over the past few days, grisly images of what appeared to be civilian massacres carried out by Russian forces in Bucha, outside of Kiev, 
before those troops withdrew from the outskirts of the uh, capital city have caused a global outcry and have led Western nations to expel scores of Moscow's diplomats and propose further sanctions, including a ban on coal imports from Russia. But not, at least not so far, a ban on oil and gas imports, where I think Russia makes their big money. Yes. We covered uh, some of those grisly revelations out of Bucha on the show yesterday, and I don't want to belabor them for now, but I think it is important that we be as clear as possible about what happened as more and more evidence emerges to prove that, yes, Russia is simply lying when they claim that what we are all now seeing with our own eyes out of Bucha is, quote, fake news, which they describe as a provocation carried out by Ukraine with crisis actors and dead bodies that were not actually there when Russian forces occupied the town. They are lying, and journalists from The New York Times and elsewhere have demonstrated as much over the past 24 to 48 hours. Zelensky told the U.N. Security Council where Russia is a permanent member, has a permanent seat, and therefore has veto power that they can currently use to prevent any accountabilities for, accountability for their own actions. Zelensky told uh, the council that if they cannot bring real accountability, if they can't take actions to help bring peace, then they serve no real purpose at all and should consider dissolving entirely. Moscow's U.N. ambassador said that while Bucha was under Russian control, quote, not a single local person has suffered from any violent action. Good Lord. Uh, he reiterated what the Kremlin has contended for days, uh, describing video footage of bodies in the streets of Bucha as, quote, a crude forgery staged by the Ukrainians. But Associated Press journalists in Bucha have counted dozens of corpses in civilian clothes and interviewed Ukrainians who told of witnessing the atrocities. Also, high-resolution satellite imagery showed that many of the bodies in those streets had been lying in the open for weeks during the time that Russian forces occupied the town. Ukrainian officials said that the bodies of at least 410 civilians have been found in towns around Kiev that were recaptured from Russian forces and that a torture chamber was discovered in Bucha. Zelensky told the U.N. Security Council there was, quote, not a single crime that Russian troops hadn't committed in Bucha. And he likened their actions there to those of the Islamic State group. On Tuesday, police and other investigators walked the silent streets in Bucha, taking notes on bodies that residents had showed them. Many of the dead seen by AP journalists appeared to have been shot at close range. Some had their hands bound or their flesh burned. The AP and the PBS series Frontline have jointly verified at least 90 incidents during the war that appear to violate international law. As noted, we uh, spent quite a bit of time on this yesterday and probably will again in the days ahead. But I you know, just need to underscore uh, the New York Times did some incredible uh, uh, reporting. Their visual journalists there matching up the uh, 
the uh, the dead bodies on the street with uh, it, that were uh, videoed just within past the recent days since the Russians have left and match that up with uh, satellite shots of those very same bodies laying in those very same streets some weeks ago in the middle of March. Yes, that was one of the major points that Zelensky made in his address to the U.N. Security Council, talking about how Russia is trying to use its old Soviet propaganda tactics, but we now have 21st century technology to disprove them almost immediately. As noted, uh, you know, we did spend uh, quite a bit of time on this yesterday. Uh, so for now, I just it was such a heavy show yesterday. I feel like we need to lighten things up a little bit. <laughs> So to that end, in other news, domestic news that frankly should not be news at all. But incredibly enough, in our twisted 2022 world, I guess this is news. Republican Senators Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Mitt Romney of Utah announced on Monday that they will move to uh, they will vote to confirm Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson's historic elevation to the U.S. Supreme Court giving President Joe Biden's nominee a burst of bipartisan support and all but assuring that he will that she will become the first black female justice. The senators announced their decision ahead of a procedural vote to advance the nomination and as Democrats pressed to confirm Jackson by the end of the week. Republican Senator Susan Collins of Maine already announced last week that she would back back uh, Jackson, noting her, quote, stellar qualifications as a federal judge, public defender and member of the U.S. Sentencing Commission. All three Republicans said that they did not expect to agree with all of Jackson's decisions, but they found her extremely well qualified, with Romney noting Jackson, quote, more than meets the standard of excellence and integrity. Murkowski said she will, quote, bring the Supreme Court a range of experience from the courtroom that few can match, given her background in litigation. Now, none of that should be news. Republicans voting for an extremely qualified candidate to the high court, even though they were nominated by a president of the opposing party, uh, that's how it used to work. That, you know, they would vote for these candidates because they were well qualified, even if they didn't agree with all of their judicial philosophies. Now, not since Mitch McConnell, however, broke the entire process by stealing a Supreme Court pick from Barack Obama and then jamming through three uh, justices under Donald Trump, despite one, Brett Kavanaugh, having several allegations of sexual assault on his record and lying during his confirmation hearings, and another, Amy Coney Barrett, being jammed through just eight days before the 2020 presidential election after McConnell had left a vacancy open on the bench during the last full year of Obama's presidency, claiming that Antonin Scalia's death in February of that year was just too close to a presidential election to fill a Supreme Court seat. He then went ahead and put on Amy Coney Barrett eight days before a presidential election and to jam through all three of those justices, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans voted to use the nuclear option to kill the Senate filibuster for Supreme Court justices for the very first time. So now, in a 50-50 Senate and the filibuster gone, Democrats can place whoever they like on the court if they all stick together, along with the tie-breaking vote from Vice President Harris. But now, well, now they'll have three extra votes 
from Republicans, which, as noted, really should not be news at all, but now I guess it is. But in case you're you haven't been paying attention uh, close, closely enough when our when uh, Slate legal journalist Mark Joseph Stern has been on this program in recent months. He's long argued that if Republicans take back control of the Senate, as they may after this November's midterm elections, if Republicans control the Senate and a Democrat is in the White House, he argues no presidential uh, nominee to the Supreme Court will ever be filled. During the Judiciary Committee hearing for Judge Jackson on Monday, South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, who said that he will vote against Jackson after having voted for her just last year for the federal appeals court, he said the, uh, the quiet part out loud, basically, making it clear that if you had any questions about this, Republicans will never vote for a Democratic nominee again if and when they take back control of the U.S. Senate. If we get back the Senate and we're in charge of this body and there's judicial openings, we will talk to our colleagues on the other side. But if we're in charge, she would not have been before this committee. You would have had somebody more moderate than this. So I want you to know right now the process you started to go to a simple majority vote is going to rear its head here pretty soon where we're in charge. Then we'll talk about judges mm -hmm. differently. Yeah, they will. Now, to be clear... The Republicans removed the 60-vote filibuster threshold for the Supreme Court. And to suggest that Katanji Brown-Jackson is not moderate enough is simply absurd. You know who was very moderate? Merrick Garland, Barack Obama's nominee for the Supreme Court, who was never even given a meeting, much less a hearing by Republicans, much less an up or down vote in the U.S. Senate. And I think uh, Lindsey Graham made it pretty clear there, the point that Mark Joseph Stern has been making, that not only will all Supreme Court justices nominated by a Democratic president be blocked from here on out if Republicans control the Senate, but also all other positions on the federal bench. So pay attention. Yeah, things have changed here. Your vote really does matter for the Senate. Uh, by the way, will Alaska's uh, Lisa Murkowski pay a price at the ballot box up in Alaska when she runs for re-election for now both both voting for Ketanji Brown Jackson and to convict Donald Trump in his second impeachment trial for inciting the January 6th riot? Well, I've got just the guest to ask about that. She'll be with us momentarily. And in other related GOP congressional news today, Congressman Fred Upton of Michigan, one of the 10 House members who voted to impeach former President Donald Trump over the January 6th insurrection, announced his retirement on Tuesday morning. In an occasionally emotional speech from the House floor, Upton said some of his peers, quote, hopefully civility, he said about some of his peers, hopefully civility and bipartisanship versus discord can rule the day, not rue the day. Good luck with that. Upton joins fellow Republicans uh, Adam Kinziger of Illinois, Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio, and John Katko of New York in departing the chamber after their consequential uh, impeachment votes against Donald Trump. 
In a press release in response on Tuesday, Donald Trump crowed in all caps, so you know he means it, quote, Upton quits. Four down and six to go. Others losing badly. Who's next? Well, we will see. But up in Alaska, in the meantime, Donald Trump now has a clear favorite to fill the seat recently vacated by the late Republican Congressman Don Young, who passed away suddenly at 88 years of age last month after 49 years as Alaska's only member of Congress. That favorite is who my guest joining us shortly has long described as Alaska's former half-governor, Sarah Palin, who announced, no kidding, on April Fool's Day that she is joining a 40-person race to fill Don Young's seat. (laughs) It's the return of the word salad master chef. (laughs) Yep. But wait until you see who is also running in that race. The great Jeannie Devin of Alaska's The Mud Flats blog joins us next for all the skinny from way up north. I don't know about you, but I could use some frivolity today, even if Sarah Palin is the one who provides it. We'll take what we can get. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hi, this is Brad. My thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for a subscription to the broadcast of any amount you like. We rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please grab a subscription at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. So true. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. No time is a good time for Sarah. Way up north in Alaska, as our old friend Jeannie Devon reported last month on her notorious Mudflats blog in a short item headlined, The Quitter Returns, Alaska has lost its longest-serving member of Congress, Republican Don Young, who took office in 1973. He was 88 years old, and the majority of Alaskans have never known another congressional representative. Alaska, as it turns out, while huge in land land size, is actually tiny in population size, and it has just one single member of Congress in its delegation. Devin notes that Young was like Queen Victoria or the Ramses II of the Great Land. And she notes just two days after Young passed away and a full week before he was even set to lie in state in the U.S. Capitol, much less be interned. Guess who was already willing to fill his, quote, huge shoes just 72 hours after his death? Yep. The former half-governor has decided she would like to unquit politics now, writes Devin. Young passed away on March 18, but in an appearance on the far-right Newsmax TV on March 21, in an interview hosted by the disgraced former Fox News host Eric Bowling, who was forced out of Fox after sending photos of his genitals to co-workers, 
Sarah Palin was asked whether she might consider running for Alaska's now open congressional seat. Characteristically, she did not give a simple one-word answer, yes or no. Let me ask you right here on this show, and we've been friends a very long time, um, are you ready to announce a, a run for that seat, that Don Young seat for Russell representatives from Alaska? Oh my goodness, think of those huge shoes that are to be filled uh, when we consider Don Young's um, longevity and uh, his passion, his love, his fighting spirit for our wonderful state of Alaska and for the nation as a whole. Um, if I were asked to serve in, in the House um, and take his place, I would be humbled and honored and I would. Yeah, in a heartbeat, I would. Um, we'll see how this process is gonna go um, in terms of filling that seat, but uh, it would be an honor. Now, as it turns out, one does not get asked to fill the seat. Uh, one runs in a special election to win it. As Devin notes, all any candidate needs to do is fill out a form and they'll appear on the open primary ballot. The top four primary winners of any party will go on to a ranked choice general election. Buckle up, Devin warns. Well, in fact, last Friday, perhaps appropriately enough on April Fool's Day, the New York Times reports Sarah Palin, a former Alaska governor and the Republican nominee for vice president in 2008, said that she was entering the race for Alaska's lone congressional seat, making her return to national politics after she helped revive the anti-establishment rhetoric that has now come to define the Republican Party. She will be joining a crowded field, however, of nearly 40 candidates to fill the House seat left vacant by Representative Don Young, whose unexpected death last month has spurred one of the largest political shifts in the state in 50 years. Palin said in a statement that she planned to honor Mr. Young's legacy while painting a dystopian picture of a nation in crisis and criticizing the, quote, radical left, noting, quote, as I've watched the far left destroy the country, I knew I had to step up and join the fight. To destroy the country? Unclear. Joining us now for perhaps some clarity from way up north is Jeannie Devon, a longtime friend of the Brad blog and the founding editor back when she was known simply as A.K. Muckraker of The Mud Flats, an Alaskan blog describing itself as news and politics from the upper left corner, though it may be most infamously known as the blog that introduced Sarah Palin to the nation, winning several National Bloggers' Choice Awards and Alaska Press Club Awards. Jeannie is the co-author with Frank Bailey and Ken Morris of the New York Times best-selling book Blind Allegiance to Sarah Palin, a memoir of our tumultuous years. She has written extensively on Alaska politics for various media outlets and has also served as press secretary for the Alaska State Senate Democrats and as communications director for the Alaska Democratic Party. Her book, the Blood of Patriots with Bill Fulton about the Alaska militia movement is currently in development to become a series on FX. Well, finally, a blogger makes good. Take that, Glenn Greenwald. Jeannie Devon, it's been a few too many years, but welcome back to the broadcast. 
Well, thank you very much, and I'm uh, I'm, I'm sorry for these tragic circumstances that have brought us together again. <laughs> well, before we get to those tragic circumstances, let's talk about maybe some better ones. Is this militia show on FX, is that going to be like a, a reality show a dr- or a dramatic theatrical show? What is that? That's very cool. Well, it's... It's uh, based on the book, The Blood of Patriots, which mm-hmm. I co-wrote with Bill Fulton, and mm-hmm. it was it, it came about when I started attending a trial, um, which sort of turned out to be prescient with the whole militia movement mm-hmm. and everything that went on in Michigan with Gretchen Whitmer attempting to be kidnapped. This mm-hmm. was like the precursor to all of that that sort of bubbled up in Alaska with... Um, the Alaska Peacekeepers Militia, plotting mm-hmm. to kill federal judges and do a whole bunch of nefarious things to start the revolution here wow. in Alaska. Wow. So I was like, oh, I think I need to go hang out in court and see what this is all about. Yeah. And Bill Fulton was actually a, a witness. Mm-hmm. Um, he was working undercover for the FBI. And uh, it was a fascinating story. And so we decided to collaborate and write a book on that. So it's full of adventure and bounty hunting and FBI and wow, seditious cool. plots. So, and, um, yeah, so, so, so that, FX yeah, go ahead. wanted to, wanted to um, develop it into a, into a TV series. So I think it's going to be fun. So a series, like, a, like an actual theatrical show versus a yes. documentary reality type thing. Right. Cool. Very cool. Well, good luck on that and hope you'll come back to talk, uh, talk to us about it when and if it's up and rolling. Uh, now, before we get to your good friend, Sarah, uh, Republican Congressman Don Young, Alaska Republican uh, Congressman, was 88 years old when he died last month. He served for 49 years as Alaska's only member of Congress. So a couple of questions. Uh, how, how did he last that long as a congressman? And aside from the the contest to replace him, which we'll get to in a second. What does the loss of Don Young actually mean in general uh, to Alaskans? Well, I think, um, I mean, you have to roll the clock way, way back to 1973. So Don Young did not win his first attempt uh, at Congress. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, he lost to um, Nick Begich, who was uh, killed in a a plane crash. Mm. And Don Young still lost to him, so he won in a special election, so a sort of a, a circle of life thing there mm. that we're facing a special election now. Yeah. But he was around and kind of was one of the old guard that guided Alaska into statehood and its early statehood and in the pipeline, and mm. he was kind of... Um, he was, he's just one of those, like, Ted Stevens or Lisa Murkowski's father, Frank, who just got in, established a really long tenure, gained some um, cushy mm-hmm. committee positions, and just became an institution. It, it just, you know, the, I remember when I moved to Alaska 32 years ago, and I said, why does everybody keep voting for Don Young? And I was told he's going to be, he'll be here till he dies. <laughs> his as long as he wants. And sure enough. And it's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. How, how, much, um, how much power was he considered uh, to have up there? I mean, normally senators have more power than members of Congress, but with only one congressman who served 50 years and, you know, two senators, uh, was, was Young more of the, the, the kingmaker, uh, so to speak, in Alaska than even the current senators, uh, Lisa Murkowski and Dan Sullivan? Well, he didn't have that much power anymore. I mean, at one point he was head of the Transportation Committee, which is critical up here, and he held some important 
um, you know, committee positions, but he was stripped of those for, you know, blatant corruption, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So he he didn't even really hold that much power. He was mm. just an institution, and Alaska's like Alaskans like their like their institutions. Yeah, well. Um, Let's uh, move then to the... I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, well, let's move to the next uh, Alaska institution, perhaps. Uh, as the Time notes, uh, Times notes, in, uh, in Palin's statement on Friday announcing her plans to run on the last day to qualify for the June 11 primary... Uh, for both the special election and the normal uh, November election, Ms. Palin pointed to her legacy of service in Alaska, where she was first elected to the city council in Wasilla three decades ago. She said she still lives in Wasilla and said her loyalty would remain with the state, even if she was sent to Washington. But Jeannie, isn't her loyalty to the state somewhat in question, given that she simply up and quit her job as governor uh, about two years in after her, you know, mavericky run for vice president with John McCain? Uh, Surely Alaska voters remember that, no? Oh, yes. Oh, they do. So and here's here's, I hope, something that will settle everybody down a little bit. Yeah. Palin's approval rating and likability has been underwater for since she quit. She is not a popular figure in the state uh-huh. anymore. Um, she, I think her favorability rating in uh, the last time a poll was done in the fall was like 31%. Uh-huh. And it dates back to when she quit. And right before um, I got on with you, I was sort of trolling some notorious conservative Alaska Facebook group Mm -hmm. that that I peek in on from time to time. Mm -hmm. And it was about a 50-50 ratio between thumbs-ups and ha-ha emojis on anything that (laughs) talked about Palin. Really? Well, I mean, now... (laughs) And I found found a quote, and this, this one sums it up to me. It says, very hard pass. She quit once because the going got tough, and in my mind, that defines her entire political career. And that was coming from someone on the right, U- from from a right wing blog, conservative, yeah, like Trumpy as you can get, hardcore, fringy right wing. Now, and and this is uh, I think Donald Trump has uh, since endorsed her run, has he not? I know that she was one of the first to endorse him uh, when he ran for president yeah. in 2016. He's now returned the favor, correct? Yes, but here's where this gets interesting. Yeah. So Trump has endorsed her, and I'm sure that will get a lot of attention in the lower 48 states. Uh-huh. But it's it's a little bit not so black and white in Alaska because. Trump was calling on people to primary and to run against Don Young. Because uh-huh. Don Young did not, I mean, Don Young didn't tow anybody's line. Uh-huh. He was kind of all over the map. You know, he was the head of like the, you know, make pot legal caucus, and he's, he has worked with Democrats on occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, so Trump was just not a huge Don Young fan. So that sort of flew under the radar a little bit because everybody assumed Don Young's running, he's getting in, it doesn't matter what Trump said. But now that everyone is sort of in that, um, I don't even know what to call it, it probably has a name, but like that sort of honeymoon period right after somebody dies mm-hmm. where nobody wants to say anything bad mm-hmm. and everybody wants to look back and sort of lionize that person who has been such a big part of history, that's where we are right now with Don Young. So people are looking at Trump, who was attacking Don Young, and is now endorsing Palin, and I think that complicates 
<laughs> her messaging a little bit more within the state. Certainly not outside, but definitely within Alaska. Because there were a number of other folks before she got in who were vying for uh, for, for the Trump the Trump nod up there, correct? Yes. Now, Certainly nobody was trying to avoid the Trump nod. Right, but. right. Well, now, she was, I know Palin was, I think she was still popular up to the time until she quit being the governor out of nowhere and uh, was, you know, announced she was stepping down for no apparent reason other than she had, you know, become a media darling. She got a contract on she Fox News. Deal. She had a book deal. And she hosted reality TV shows. Then she sort of faded uh, when she was on there with uh, Eric Bowling as part of that interview that that I didn't play there. Uh, she said she has, quote, nothing to lose by running. Right. Uh, kind of true. Uh, what, what is she doing there these days? It, it, I mean, we don't hear about her much down here other than this lawsuit uh, it, that she recently lost against The New York Times. Does she have any right. presence up there in Alaska these days? None. She has not set her toe in the pool of Alaska politics since she quit. And, and you were talking about her popularity. So it was about, I mean, if you look at the trend line with her favorables and unfavorables, uh-huh. they were just about crossing right when she quit. And then it went steeply downhill from that point. But she, when she left, it was because she had a book deal, uh-huh. and she constitutionally could not do that and be governor at the same time. Uh, I see. So she picked the book, yeah. and she picked the reality show, and she made up some nonsense about how she was going to help Alaska from the outside. Yes. And never showed up again. <laughs> but my, my personal theory is that, and I've been thinking about this when I, when I see them on TV, is that she is watching... Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates and all of these people who do exactly what she did. They don't try to govern. Mm -hmm. They don't care about policy. They're simply disruptors. They're narcissists. They get a lot of attention and they don't have to do anything other than kind of be nasty. Uh, yeah, and she's really good at that. Yeah, no, you know. she's she's the queen of that. She she wrote the book on that, in fact. Right. And uh, I guess she wants to get back on the grift with uh, with those folks in Congress. I, I, and, exactly. And I, I'm going to need you to to explain how this is going to work. Alaska has a very interesting and and especially here complicated way of running its elections for the U.S. House. But there are about 40 candidates now running for the seat. Does she have a chance? Is she actually considered the front runner? now up there she is not considered the front runner well this is all very interesting because alaska just passed an election law through through citizen ballot initiative Uh it's called ballot measure two and Mm -hmm. it changed a lot of things about the election but Mm -hmm. the main two are that instead of having um party primaries Mm -hmm. there is now one open primary in which anybody from any party is all on the same ballot Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to gather signatures to prove the viability of your campaign. You simply fill out a form, pay your $100, and you're on the ballot. Wow. Okay. This is the first time that that will ever have happened. Oh, boy. Oh <laughs> so boy. we have 48. <laughs> oh, man. We had 51, and a couple people had dropped out. One uh-huh. of them was an April Fool's joke, sadly not Palin. Okay. But we now have 48 candidates. Six of them are Democrats. Uh-huh. The rest are either Republicans or nonpartisan. Uh-huh. And the top four 
we'll move on to the general election. So uh, and, what does that mean? Yeah, what does that Your mean? guess is as good as mine. Um, I mean, Palin certainly has name recognition, uh-huh. and she may get on to the general with that alone. Uh-huh. But we also, if we're talking about name recognition, Santa Claus is literally on this ballot. <laughs> oh, man. And it's not like the Los Angeles ballot with Mickey Mouse or whatever on it. Uh-huh. Santa Claus is actually a member of the North Pole City Council. Really? He has, yes. He has been reelected to that position in a, in a very conservative town, one uh-huh. of the most conservative towns in Alaska. And he is a democratic socialist. Of course, right? Well, because he's Santa. Yeah, of course. <laughs> wow. So Santa so Claus. He looks like he, and yeah. he looks exactly. I mean, he is Santa in Alaska. He's Santa Claus. Wow. So Sarah Palin and Santa Claus are both on the same ballot. And so Santa so, Claus could actually win, could actually, or at least get into the top four, and then, then who knows yes. what happens? Wow. Duh, but duh. Santa Claus has also said that he will not run. For the next full term, uh-huh. he will just run to finish the end of Don Young's term because we now are faced with two elections, right? The and special the sh- and the regular, and they're both going to happen at the same time, I believe, on June 11. And uh, so, is Sarah Palin in both the special election primary and the regular November general election primary? Yes, she has said that she will be in both. Okay. Santa Claus is only going to be in the first one because he just wants to make sure that Alaska is in good, safe hands until we can regroup and have an election in November. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> until Christmas, basically, is when he wants to... He's a little busy. Yeah, he, busy can't, he can't keep going after November. So, okay, so that could happen. And she's running on both. Now, uh, do Democrats or, or progressives, I know that in Alaska, sometimes the Democrats and, and the independent candidates sort of work together. Uh, do the Democrats or progressives have someone that they hope to see this, uh, to win this thing, that they're actually... Uh, oh, yeah. Putting their support behind? There are, well, the Democratic Party hasn't picked a candidate because there's more than one. Mm-hmm. So in the primary, they won't be endorsing anyone. But there are six Democrats on the ballot, mm-hmm. and at least two of them are, uh, or three of them actually are, have been off, have been or are office holders and are serious candidates. There's Christopher Constant, who was the first openly gay person to be elected to the Anchorage Assembly. Mm -hmm. And remember, Anchorage is half the population of the state. Mm. Uh, The Assembly is like the city council. Mm -hmm. Then there is uh, Mary Peltola, who long ago served 12 years in the legislature. She's an amazing uh, Native leader who is also an expert in fisheries, Mm. which is important up here. Mm Um, and there's a sitting legislator from Fairbanks named Adam Wool. So all of these are Democrats who could certainly fill that slot. Uh-huh. So there are serious Democrats on the ballot. And so that's where I think the effort needs to be is because you can only vote for one in the primary. Right. And then in the, in the regular election or in the general election, you can rank up to four, which is also completely new. <laughs> yes, let's talk about that. The ranked choice vote. So that is that is also new. So both the the top four uh, uh, primary and this ranked choice voting. You guys have never used that before, correct? Correct. Okay. <laughs> are you, 
Are you excited about it? Because I'm not. And here's what I'll tell I don't mind the top four thing. That I kind of like the idea that everybody just throws in. That sounds very small d democratic. But, uh, but this ranked choice uh, voting uh, runoff, ranked choice has been a disaster in a lot of places where it has been tried. People have a very difficult time following it, understanding it, knowing candidates don't know why they have won or lost. It almost has to be uh, tallied with computers centrally. Um, do you have any concerns about the ranked choice uh, voting runoff system in this case? Well, certainly the most important thing, as you alluded to, is going to be voter education. Because this is all new. Mm-hmm. And how many ballots will be spoiled, you know, just mm-hmm. because people don't understand the proper way to fill them out, or they think that they have to choose four, because mm-hmm. you don't have to. You could vote one or two or three or however many you want mm-hmm. on the ballot. But there's just, there are a lot of moving parts to this. Um, yeah. And the thought behind it from the people that, you know, were behind this movement, mm-hmm. I believe, is to sort of shave off those really hardcore fringe candidates from the equation and to keep everything toward a more moderate center. Well, Jeannie Devin, if and when the ranked choice uh, system explodes up there, let me uh, let me just uh, put this bee into your bonnet because uh, I know you're you're tied in with uh, the Alaska politics. But I, I appreciate the reasoning behind ranked choice voting. I just know that right. we have a very difficult time, and, and Alaska itself has had a very difficult time simply having elections where you know you add one plus one plus one to find out who actually <laughs> won. Uh, that has already been difficult enough. Difficult enough for the public to oversee. Right. So I, I, I appreciate the reasoning behind ranked choice, uh, but it, it it becomes impossible to oversee for the public. So if this explodes, just keep in mind there's something called approval voting out there, which I think is a nice compromise. It basically allows you to vote yes or no for any candidate on the ballot. Simple. That can even be hand counted and uh, doesn't run into all of the problems of ranked choice voting. Just keep that in mind. If everything explodes up there, um, <laughs> not not that it will. I'm sure it'll all go swimmingly. Oh, it always does. <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go wrong with Alaska exactly. elections? Okay, uh, before I, I let you go here, your Senator uh, Lisa Murkowski made some news this week by announcing her intention to vote in favor of uh, Joe Biden's nominee to the Supreme Court, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, who would be the first black female on the court. Frankly, that should not be news at all that a Republican, oh my gosh, is voting for a a Democratic nominee to the Supreme Court. But these are the times we live in. She joins uh, New Hampshire's Susan Collins and Utah's Mitt Romney as the only three willing to vote for Judge Jackson. Uh, they are, of course, are uh, the three who also voted to uh, find Donald Trump guilty of inciting an insurrection in his second impeachment trial, as I recall. Uh, Murkowski is not up for reelection until 2024. But are, are, are these anti-Trump votes going to be working against her ability to win reelection in 2024? She is up. She's up this cycle. Oh, she's in 2022. Yes. Oh, my. Okay, well, that's even more interesting. So, uh, (laughs) A, is that going to affect her in 2022? And by the way, are they using the uh, ranked choice choice voting there as well? Yes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. So, (laughs) a cadre of Lisa Murkowski fans were actually the the impetus behind um, our voting overhaul. Mm. 
probably, and this is, you know, speculation on my part, but mm-hmm. after the last incident where Murkowski got primaried out by mm-hmm. Joe Miller, who yeah. was a hardcore right-winger, yes, um, she actually ended up winning in a write-in election, as you will remember. Yes. Um, so this presumably will prevent her from being knocked out in the first round of a normal primary. Mm-hmm. So it it allows her to swing slightly to the left to try to scrape together mm-hmm. um, centrist and center-left votes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have absolutely no doubt that the only reason that she voted the way that she did um, is because Mitch McConnell let her, pretty much. Mm. <laughs> I mean, what we have right yeah. now in our Senate race is a proxy war between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Lisa Murkowski is the Mitch McConnell candidate, and Kelly Chewbacca is the Trump candidate. Right. So she, Lisa will occasionally do the right thing, but never when it actually makes the difference. <laughs> gotcha. And so this, in this case, this will assure with the, the new top four system, this will assure that Lisa Murkowski gets in and then is on the right. general election ballot in, in November and thus may be able to survive yet again. And if she's everybody's second choice, then there's the path. Wow. All right. If you guys can figure out how to count a ranked choice voting election by then. And by the way, I, I, I became uh, kind of a fan with crazy far right Joe Miller after his last election because he was actually challenging the election system like a regular person, like a grown up, right. not like the loons that we see now on the right challenging the election right. system. But uh, he was actually fighting for election integrity and election transparency as a Republican, as a far right Republican. And, and uh, I Before Yeah, exactly. No, I and I really appreciated it and supported his effort Uh, much as I support your efforts on everything. uh, Jeannie, I hope that we can check in with you as this um, fun moves forward up in Alaska. We need a break from uh, all of the uh, dark times around the world and watching Sarah Palin in this House election. Frankly, no matter what happens, I can't uh, figure out if it's better if she wins or loses at this point. But uh, I hope... Well, (laughs) we can hope that Santa Claus kicks her butt. There you go. (laughs) We are all in for Santa here. Uh, Consider that the the, uh, broadcast endorsement. Man, would that be awesome. All right, uh, (laughs) Jeannie, uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us today. We will bother you again uh, in the near future. Jeannie Devon can be found still at themudflats.net and on the Twitters at Jeannie C. Devon. Always great speaking with you, Jeannie. Look forward to the next time. Okay. Thanks, Brad. You bet. (laughs) Okay. I want to move to Alaska so I can vote for Santa Claus. You want to vote for Santa Claus? (laughs) Yes. There is no Santa Claus. He sounds awesome. I look forward to hearing more about him. (laughs) I know. I actually I do too. Can you imagine if he wins? Maybe he will. That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. Uh, But only for the special election. Then he's got to get back to work for Christmas. Fantastic. Great speaking with Jeannie. All right, quick break, and Desi Doyen will ruin all of our fun with our latest (laughs) Green News report. That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. 
and thanks. I'll tell you what, you know, you would think, Desi Doyen, yes. in normal times, which these are not normal times, they clearly anymore, you would think that uh, a story with the headline, Earth Firmly on Track Toward an Unlivable World, <laughs> you think that might, you know, sort of uh, be the top of the news. That was the news uh, as it broke on Monday. And we weren't able to cover it. I know. You'd think that that would yeah. be big news, but yeah. in the world we live in, it is not. No, no. Couldn't it doesn't even, even make it. like, you know, the, no. the second day. No. And it and it gets pushed way back to the end of the next day in uh, Desi Doyen's latest Green News report. We are on a fast track to climate disaster. UN report warns stopping climate change is possible. We have all the tools we need, but time is running out. Plus, U.S. West careens between intense fires and floods, and it's going to get worse. Oh, if someone had only warned us. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Today is the government fixing the price on insulin. What's next? Gas? Yes, please fix the price on gas, Congressman Kathy McMorris Rogers of Washington. Yes, this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I know whenever I see the headline, new report from UN says... (laughs) The rest of that headline is not going to be good. Yeah, generally it is not. The United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change on Monday published its latest global assessment of climate science, the third installment of this round. This report on mitigation warns that stopping climate change is still doable, but the window of action to avoid irreversible damage is rapidly closing and there is little margin for error. But the IPCC reports that the good news is we can can do it quickly and relatively cheaply. The most important takeaway is that we have the solutions, but the only thing preventing us from taking advantage of those solutions is the political will, and that is being stopped by powerful fossil fuel interests. Yes, yes it is, and it's being stopped by the politicians who are paid by those powerful fossil fuel interests. The science, not surprisingly, is not great. The report warns countries are far too slow in cutting emissions. The world is now on track to blow past Paris Climate Agreement targets by 2030 and, without action, could hit a catastrophic three degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels or more. Well, why worry? Well, scientists say going beyond the agreed limit of warming no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius means that the dangers of global warming, like worsening extreme weather disasters and ecosystem collapse, could become irreversible and trigger cascading impacts. Humans have already heated the planet by one point one degree Celsius. And in a statement, U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres slammed rich countries for failing to act, saying this report is a litany of broken climate promises. It is a file of shame cataloging the empty pledges that put us firmly on track towards an unlivable world. We are on a fast track to climate disaster. Major cities underwater, unprecedented heat waves, terrifying storms, widespread water shortages, the extinction of a million species of plants and animals, 
And this is not fiction or exaggeration. It is what science tells us will result from our current energy policies. Fakest accent I've ever heard. Now, this IPCC report focuses on mitigation. It finds the world has made progress thanks to the plunging costs of renewable energy, which is now cheaper than fossil fuels, and with an all-hands-on-deck approach and immediate drastic deployment of tools and technologies we already have, there is still time, barely, to avoid the worst impacts of climate change. The report is a blueprint for mitigation, what nations need to do. The IPCC lays out literally hundreds of specific strategies that fall under six main pathways to curb emissions. Ramp up renewable energy and ditch fossil fuels. Make buildings more efficient. Transition quickly to electric vehicles. Design and upgrade cities to be clean and green using simple urban planning measures and building practices to give people more transportation choices. Invest in a just transition for developing countries. Adopt regenerative farming practices to store carbon and protect and restore nature to expand nature's ability to draw down carbon from the air. In other words, there's plenty of ways to do this. All we are lacking is the will to do this. Exactly. The IPCC report finds that all of these strategies are not only achievable, but also relatively cheap, since action is far, far cheaper than catastrophe. We have all the tools we need, except the political will. Well, the difference is, you know, it may be cheaper to take action now, but that means the fossil fuel companies don't make money now. It'll be more expensive later, and that will be paid by the taxpayers. Exactly. Finally, an example of how costly global warming already is, the deepening mega drought across the western U.S. is affecting crops in California. Water managers announced that despite recent storms, the snowpack in the Sierra Nevada mountains that supplies the state's farms has abruptly melted to the lowest levels in 70 years. A different study warns the U.S. West will be more frequently hit by the one-two punch of massive wildfires followed by torrential downpours causing floods and landslides. Burning fossil fuels is making the destructive cycle of more intense fire and rain more frequent and more costly, and it's going to get worse. Why worry? It's only going to be 93 degrees in Southern California this week in April. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. So I have to uh, make a quick correction here. I said it was going to be 93 degrees uh, in Southern California by the end of the week. Yes. Uh, I just checked again. Actually, I was wrong. 96 degrees by the end of the week here in Southern California in April. That used to not be normal, but I guess sadly it is becoming our new normal. Now, I just want to reiterate the IPCC, the summary of that 3,000-page report. We have all the tools and technology that we need to make this happen and to make it work and to fight climate change. The only thing we lack is the political will, and time is running out. For a, an excellent summary of the uh, this gigantic report, mm-hmm. uh, it's at carbonbrief.org. They have a great summary, or you 
can just go to our website, greennews.bradblog.com, and you can see all the articles we have there to look at <laughs> and find out sort of what's going on. Yeah, well, it's kind of important. It's kind of important. It's very important. And we started this segment by saying how, you know, we had to push this off until today. It actually broke at the uh, UN on Monday. I, I, I just can't keep up, even while we have been on the air over the past hour. Uh, this breaking news, Oklahoma lawmakers approved a near total ban on abortion. As the U.S. Supreme Court weighs a case that could overturn Roe v. Wade later this year, uh, Reuters says the Oklahoma House passed a bill that would make it illegal to perform any abortion in the state except in medical emergencies and they are threatening fines and prison time. Wow. So uh, they wouldn't have been able to do that had they not stolen the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, frankly. But uh, boy, you well, know. that was the whole reason why they stole the whole U.S. Supreme Court. It's been a decades-long scheme to overturn the entire civil rights and 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 uh, reproductive rights and same-sex marriage rights, and that have been uh, the framework that has been established over the last several decades. Now. Just so that we don't leave people feeling terrible, uh, the uh, since I was trying to lighten it up with that whole Sarah Palin seg segment, uh, President Biden uh, announced that he will extend the pause on the federal student loan payments until August 31 of this year. Well, that according to an administration official. So I guess Biden hasn't announced it himself. That is good news. What would be better news is if he forgave uh, those federal student loans entirely at this point. And uh, some believe that he will do so before the November election. We'll see. For now, anyway, those payments uh, are uh, once again uh, paused until uh, the end of August. So there's that. Yes. To feel better that. about. You're welcome. Doing what we can here. Got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doy, and to my guest today, Jeannie Devin of Alaska's TheMudFlats.net. Uh, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, or any other. You can download all of them for free at bradblog.com. And hey, now's a great time to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi and me stay on your public airwaves as long as we can. We are 100% listener supported. Yes, by listeners just like you. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, through the fire and the rain, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Fire and rain